Welcome to the Silmarillion Stories, where the lorehounds your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our podcast for Of Eldemar and the Princes of the Adalia. The 11th story, this, the 11th, the 7th the 11th. story <laughs> in the Silmarillion. We're, but we are turning 111 in July. I know, that's so why it's in my head. Brain. Exactly. Well, in this episode, we're going to be discussing the sundering of the Teleri, the creation of the Lonely Isle, and the major houses of the Noldor. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to lotr at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those questions in the next episode. Episodes will be released once per month towards the end of the month. If you're enjoying our coverage of The Silmarillion or any of the other shows we're covering and you'd like to support us, head over to patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Um, we are coming up on our one year anniversary and we're actually trying to break the 100 subscriber threshold. So if you've been thinking about being a subscriber, uh, now would be a great time. We're going to send everybody a thank you gift at the end of July. I'll have some more information about that at the end of the pod. So stick around till then for more info. If you want to support us without signing up to our Patreon, you can always leave us, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast, which helps us make more podcasts. Now, we've got a special guest today. We've had a lot of guests lately on the Silmarillion podcast, and yeah, it's, been it's been exciting. Fun. Yeah. And uh, today we have Aaron from the Lore of the Rings podcast. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here, and I look forward to wandering Middle Earth with the both of you today. Very cool. And what is your show about? Like, what, what does it do yeah, in, what's your in the angle? Tolkien universe? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people are familiar with Peter Jackson's movies of The Lord of the Rings, of Tolkien's work. Very few, fewer people are familiar with Tolkien's actual written word, and even fewer, fewer, fewer people have actually read something like The Silmarillion or some of the histories of, of Middle-earth. Right. So what I try to do is I try to say, you know, all of these cool things that you see in the movies, those have a deeper background. Those have a deeper ancient history, and it means something. And when you know that, it deepens your enjoyment of the movies, it deepens your enjoyment of Rings of Power, it deepens your enjoyment of wandering Middle-earth. And so I try to be a dot connector and connect all of the dots, you know? Nice. That, that white tree of Gondor, where does that come from and why is that important? And in fact, that actually ties into the chapter of the Silmarillion that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. How's, that, how's it been podcasting in the, in the world of Tolkien with Rings of Power? Sort of, did you feel a big resurgence once the show was out and moving around? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. So I had started my podcast maybe nine months before okay. the, the season one was released. Right. And as soon as season one was released, you know, saw a, a, a big spike. And uh, I was really glad I did uh, episode breakdowns and lo sort of lore breakdowns or in some cases, lack of lore, how Rings of Power <laughs> sort of deviated from, from what Tolkien wrote. Um, oh, come but, on. But we fun. have the Mithril Silmarils. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Mithril origin story. Yeah. Yeah. So, the story cool. we never needed. No, exactly. No. Yeah, that was my biggest beef, I think, with uh, Rings of Power. But we're not here to we're complain not here about to do Rings that. of Power. Yeah. We're, not we're here to, to talk Tolkien. I'm yeah. excited to get into it with you two. Why don't we talk about what this chapter is quickly? Uh, this is a, a very much a setup chapter, I would say. Not a lot of story happens here, not a lot of plot. It's mostly telling you what the geography is going to be like, what the political factions are going to be like, uh, and and really setting that stage. It's a little bit dense. There's a lot of bagots, kind of. Uh, you know, as you get earlier earlier in the Silmarillion, you get the bagot sections mostly to the uh, to the middle and end. You get a little bit more plot. And right now, we are still going chapter by chapter. You'll get a story. You'll get a history book. You never know what you're going to get when you turn that page. And here we are in the middle of that history book. And uh, what did you two think of it? Why don't we go to Aaron first as the guest? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of break this chapter down sort of into three big sections. The first one is sort of a narrative journey of what are the Vanyar and the Noldor, right? Those two, uh -huh. those two factions of the elves. How do they get from Middle Earth to Valinor? That's sort of that first section. And then the second section is sort of a Wikipedia article on, <laughs> on some of the chief characters of the Noldor, right? Right. Um, and then lastly, sort of that narrative journey of how the Teleri came from Middle-earth to, to Valinor. And as, as you said, John, this is sort of a setup chapter. And I think, you know, the Silmarillion is often criticized as having a lot of world building and setup, and rightly so. 
Um, but I think this is the last sort of setting the stage chapter. Like the next chapter, okay. you start to get sort of Feanor and Melkor, and some of that, you know, narrative conflict starts to really build. Right. I think this is right. kind of that last, you know, making sure all the pieces on the board are set before before we do the final moves. So, if you're reading the Silmarillion for the first time or listening to a podcast like this for the first time, and you're like, "Man, when are we going to get to some good story?" Just wait one more chapter. Right. One more chapter. We're going to set the stage a little bit more, and then we'll go, and it'll be it'll be a wild adventure. Well, that's some words of encouragement for people. Uh, I know that, you know, like your podcast, our podcast is largely targeted towards people reading the Silmarillion for the first time or wanting just a little bit more detail in their watching. And uh, so what I've done here is I've broken it down similarly to how you just described uh, into a few sections to discuss. Uh, I, I broke it down a little bit further than that just to just to keep us a little less uh, less Wikipedia like, as you said. <laughs> David, this is your first time reading The Silmarillion. What's going in your head uh, while you read this chapter? So I tried to start this chapter at least twice before today. And then today was, I got to read this chapter because we're podcasting about it tonight. Right. Uh, I bounced off it twice because I got really lost in the geography. This is, and just as a reminder for listeners, I am new to the Silmarillion in uh, this, so I'm reading it for the very first time. Um, and so coming into it, I was, you know, we've had some good chapters in the past. Yeah, there's some begats and some begots, but uh, this is the first one where I felt really uh, like, what's going on? Where are these Little places? Bogged down. Who are right. these people? And then when I just let go and just, let it wash over me and knowing that I'm going to be talking to, you know, you two tonight, I was like, it's going to be okay. Right. Um, which is hopefully right. the, you know, the, what this podcast provides a little bit, then it was great. And then it was really interesting. And, and there were some really interesting things that I, I that I thought that were being, uh, said, um, the, the whole, this whole idea of an Island as a boat was really fascinating. Right. Right. That was a bizarro concept. Uh, I loved, Seeing the original quote for the uh, uh, Finway and uh, Finarfin and Phil, you know, because uh, we had a podcast, uh, wait, not a podcast, we had a uh, oh, yeah, Twitter tweet. meme about that. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, uh, it got a little viral. Yeah, it that was, was a good uh, one. It was that meme where you had the, the one person yelling into the ear of another person at a concert. Yeah. And we put that line of uh, Feanor was the daughter of Muriel of the North. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was. It's a it's it's a dense line in a dense yes. chapter, yeah. Which mm -hmm. it fit that meme, but it was really great to read that original line. So yeah, so once I let go, like you're saying, Aaron, uh, once I let go and went along with it and just absorbed the information as opposed to trying to be actively participating in the chapter, as it were, then it went it went fine. That is a question though that I had in my mind was wait how much more begatting and begotting do we have to go through? Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me that, Hey, guess what next chapter? And I, uh, you know, yeah. that makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to riff on that just a little bit because David, I love that you're reading the Silmarillion for the first time. And right. You've experienced, I always advise people the first time you're reading the Silmarillion, do not try to follow all of the names, right. all of the places, <laughs> all of the plot points. Cause you, you won't, you can't. Yeah. Right. And the Silmarillion, it really takes, I'd say at least three, maybe four reads through it before before you're really into the depth of it and it and it really right. starts to speak to your soul. Right. You know, and what's hilarious is that Tolkien was like, no, we got to release this first before we can release release the Lord right. of the Rings stuff. Right. And people are really <laughs> going to be into it and we'll do it as a giant single volume. And the publisher Unwin just must have been like, dude, like you no way. <laughs> this yeah, is not yeah. going to sell. We cannot It's like when a band just wants to play the deep cuts. Right. They don't want to play mm -hmm. the hits on tour. Right. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> reading this chapter, I could really feel uh, uh, that tension, you know, in the publishing aspect of it. Like, this is a good thing that the, this came out later. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Aaron. I think it was about my third time reading through the Silmarillion where I said, oh, this is emotional for me now, where I, mm, I feel like yeah. I get where these characters are coming from. And even that line, and we'll get to it when we get to it, but even that line about, you know, the different mothers of the princes of the Noldor really starts to speak to you of, oh, that's why they're all 
weird to each other and and like half siblings and mm-hmm. feuding mm-hmm. and feeling like they're owed something feeling a sense of superiority over the other i think it it really adds a depth to the drama and the politics that tolkien sets up for the first and second age mm-hmm. yep yep and there's a dyna- there's a dynamism too to to the to the elves they're not all just yeah right know, right s- sad solemn people like in peter jackson's movies but they have different motivations. They have right. they have different desires, and that really starts to those seeds are being planted in this chapter. And it was and cool. They don't to, always turn out well. No, no they, they do not. <laughs> and it was cool to to be able to understand the origins, or like say with the Teleri, like oh, okay, this is how they got set up. Why are they the ship? You know, why are they the ocean ship focused elves? Like why are you know the the and the different factions and the ones that stayed and the ones that went how that uh, geographically came to be. This chapter is really the chapter where that started to make some sense for me uh, and, and play out some of uh, what's been, been um, what's been building. And then also what I just know from the general uh, understanding of Lord of the Rings uh, mm-hmm. writ large. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to leave our initial impressions. Let's get down into this breakdown I'm going to start with arriving on the shores of Beleriand. The Vanyar and the Noldor are transported across the sea to Ammon by Ulmo using an island. There were a lot of proper nouns there. Yes. And I think that we need to break this down. Remember, let's start with Beleriand. Beleriand is that western part of Middle-earth. It's not there during the Lord of the Rings. That's why you don't recognize it. But at this point, this is the westernmost part of Middle-earth. Uh, we have two factions of the elves mentioned here, the Vanyar, the high elves, you know, the, these, uh, these light elves, uh, and then the Noldor, the deep elves, and those are the ones who are into smithing, as as, as is mentioned this chapter. Uh, and then Ammon, again, is that place across the sea where all the undying beings live, where the Valar and the Maiar live. And Ulmo is one of those Valar who does the sea, does water, and he is helping them come across the sea using an island. Woof, a lot there. <laughs> I was really confused at first, and especially the way that Tolkien writes that um, passage uh, around, uh, where is it here? Then the Vanyar and the Noldor embarked upon that isle and were drawn over the sea and came last to the long shores beneath the mountains of Mon. I'm like, What? Huh? And I, I read it again, and I highlighted it, and I was like, what? That's island. And then later, you know, it happens again. I was like, whoa, an island as a way of transporting. That is, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. That's not a trope that is in anywhere else in science fiction or fantasy that I'm aware of. Uh, no, and I think you're also seeing Tolkien, the professor, coming out because he mm-hmm. had a reputation of if you came to him to study philology, he would just speak to you as if you knew what he was talking about already. Right. He would not break okay. things down into <laughs> their elements. He would he would just speak to you as a philologist. And here he's speaking to you as a scholar of Elvis lore. <laughs> right. And he's saying, you you already know what Balerian is. You already know what the Pelori are. And, uh, it, and if you don't, then you'll figure it out along the way. And that's why it takes three or four passes on the Silmarillion to get to that emotional mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. It's a strength it- and a weakness. Yeah, absolutely. It gives it a level of verisimilitude, right? That feeling of that this is a real thing yes. that Tolkien was just a recorder of, right? When he just kind right. of dives yeah. right in, there's no real introduction to it. Um, but for those who have seen Rings of Power Season 1, there's a there's a conversation between Adar um, and that one elf, I can't remember his name, but uh, he's imprisoned in the tunnels. Yeah, um, it, yeah, yeah. And uh, Adar asks him, like, you know, where did you grow up? And he's like, Beleriand. And Adar says, oh, I remember the flowers by the river Sirion, right? Sirion is this river in Beleriand, and it's at the mouth of that river Sirion where the elves have come to, right? The Noldor, the Vanyar, they're there at that river, right? So if you've seen Rings of Power and you've heard Adar sort of mentioned, you know, Beleriand or Sirion, just know that is a connection back here to this very first stage moment of these elves are, are now arriving at the sea at that particular river. Right. That's a great point. I mean, Rings of Power, for all its faults, did do a great job weaving in some of that world building and mm-hmm. weaving in details from the first and second age that I don't mm-hmm. think were really that present in the Peter Jackson films. Mm-hmm. 
so good on them for that. Uh, Arondir was the character. That's right. Arondir. Yes. Thank you. Yes. You mentioned the geography. Let's break down that a little further. Uh, Part of this island breaks off, we learn, and that becomes the Isle of Balar. So that's going to be on the Middle Earth side of things. And then the main part of that island becomes Tol Erisea. I can never say it. I'm going to call it the Lonely Isle because that's what everybody else says. Tol Tol Erisea is what what I've heard it as. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of a lot of Tolkien words out there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to uh, when I when I first said near Nath Arnoniad without uh, stuttering, I was very proud of <laughs> that's myself. That's impressive. That's that's a hard one. It's you know what? It took me a long time. I had to literally practice that before we recorded a podcast. But we're not recording that podcast tonight. Tonight we're talking about Tol Erisea, and many elves settle there. To maintain a connection to Middle Earth, we learn the Teleri are settling there for now. Uh, David, had you heard of Tol Arisea before? Yeah, when we did our uh, Second Age podcast, we had okay. talked about yeah. it and the Lonely Isle being out there. I had never—I don't think I knew of Beleriand prior to our when we started our our podcast, mm-hmm. um, and I never had a good geographic sense of what that was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to work. And I'm just doing some Googling now and and looking. That was a huge part of the continent. That is a massive, massive area. Bigger than Middle Earth is Mm -hmm. from what I can tell. I think about twice as big. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm looking at a map right now that has... um, Middle Earth in one color and Beleriand in in a sort of another color, so you get yes. the, the sense yeah. of the 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 two and what's what's been lost. And then I can see here the Isle of Balar. I'm assuming that's what turns into Tol Arisea? No, so that's the piece that broke off right. and stayed behind. Okay, so so Tol Arisea has all of these elves on it. Right. First, th- first they ferry over the Vanyar and the Noldor, and we'll get right. to it in a second, but then they're going to come back for the Teleri. And as they're coming back, off the coast of Middle-earth, this piece of the island s- breaks off, and that becomes the Isle of Balar. Okay. So this is just craziness <laughs> from an yeah. author. Like, I, I, I don't know how to process what he's doing with you know, uh, uh, moving, uh, using a whole island to ferry all these people over there. It's wild. Yeah. I would never have thought of it. And that's why I'm not J.R.R. Tolkien. Right. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's fun when you go read some of the early drafts of this chapter in the histories of Middle Earth. I mean, uh-huh. there, there's a couple different versions, but in one of them, this island is actually the same island that uh, Alma used before to ferry the Valar around during the time of the lamps. So if you remember, ah, bef- ah. before the two trees, okay. there were two large lamps that right, Melkor, yeah. mm-hmm. Melkor right. broke up. Right. And there was an island sort of in the middle and sort of, I, I can't remember if it was the island itself or the island that Alma used to ferry the Valar afterwards. But um, there was that early connection. There was also another version of the story where Tolkien talks how Olmo sort of gathered all of the fish of the sea, including this big mighty whale, and this whale even had a name. And they these these fish of the sea were the ones who actually moved the land for the elves as they were going back and forth. Um, the version we get in the Silmarillion is a lot more simplified. It just says Olmo moves it, right? But, right, but uh, right. It, it's, you, it's fun to have this mechanical image of all of these fish trying to move an island across <laughs> the sea. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Yeah, uh, he had a ton of ideas that some some made it in, some didn't. I mean, I think Christopher had his hands full in figuring out what went in and what hit the chopping block. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of other ideas, the Teleri have some ideas about Elway. They can't find him. And so they're all stuck in Beleriand. Uh, we talked about of Thingol and Melian last month with uh, Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About. And uh, we had some thoughts about the decision of Elway to just fuck off and and be in the woods <laughs> with one of the Maiar. And uh, so they, you know, they eventually settle on uh, using his brother as a king. But uh, some of the Teleri decide to stay in Beleriand and some go on that ferry of, of, a, of a, an island with Ulmo and they head over to Ammon on Tolerasea. Uh, this is some good follow up on Thingol and Melian, huh? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thingal is still out there. He's enchanted. He's entranced. You know, whatever word you want to use, so they, they can't <laughs> they can't find him, right? So you have this further sundering of the elves, and there's a lot of great charts out there. If you Google sundering of the elves, the Teleri just continue to splinter off into lots of yes, different they groups. Do. Um, yeah. But one one character who does get a shout out here in this chapter is Kirdon the shipwright. He right? does. I know he was that. he was one of these Teleri, and um, for those of you who have seen the Peter Jackson movies, he is the elf at like the very last scene when they're at the Grey Havens and Frodo's about to get on the boat to go. Oh, and by the way, Frodo he doesn't actually go all the way to Valinor. He goes to Tol Erisea. That's mm. for him. The Blessed um. One is this island. Um, but anyway, Kirdon the shipwright is standing in the background there. He gets that one little shot in Peter Jackson's movies. He is the elf who is holding these havens on the western shores of Middle-earth, one of the original keepers of one of the three rings, right? Um, which mm-hmm. we'll get to in, in later chapters. Um, but uh, yeah, Kirdon the shipwright is one of the oldest elves in Middle-earth, and he's one of these Teleri that stays behind. Right. No one has been done dirtier in the film adaptations, in the screen adaptations of Tolkien than Kirdan the Shipwright. <laughs> what a hero who yeah. is never even given lip service to. Right. Yep. I was I am I making it up or did they uh, uh did Rings of Power I think it's rumored uh, he's coming in season release two. the casting. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was gonna be in, in uh, season two. Yeah, I, I think, think there was a statue territory. or something. So, yeah, we're totally <laughs> speculating right now. We'll have to right. see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine them not having him in it though. Like they've that got would him. be a, they've a, got him. A, that would be a big miss. Yeah. It would. Well, so the Teleri settle the Lonely Isle. I'm I'm going to just, you know, we're we're done with Teleri. It's the Lonely Isle now. Uh the Vanyar and the Noldor settle in a gap in the Pelori mountain range and found the city of Tyrion. Now, Tyrion, we've got something to talk about here, which you've already mentioned, Aaron, has a tree inspired by the two trees called Galathilion. And yes. that is the tree that sort of creates that lineage of the Gondor, uh, Numenor line of trees. Any other thoughts on the trees, Aaron? I know we, we've talked about on this podcast, follow the trees if you want to if you want yes. <laughs> yes. uh, track, uh, track the lineage of the good people in Middle-earth. Yeah, absolutely. Tolkien loved nature. He loved the trees. And so, Follow the Trees is, uh, yeah, if you want to know the story of Lord of the Rings, Follow the Trees. Yeah, and so it, it is important to note that this image uh, of the tree, it, it, it's not a descendant itself from the white tree, Telperion, um, but it is a, an image. It's a copy image right. that, that Yavanna inspired. makes for them. Right, inspired by, right? It's a living yeah. tree. Seedlings of that, as you say, go to Numenor and become Nimloth, that white tree um, yep. that's connected with the line of the kings and the queens, as Rings of Power likes to point out. Um, and then that's further connected to the white tree of Gondor. Isildur takes a little sapling of that uh, Nimloth tree in Numenor and plants it um, in, in Middle-earth. And, and this white tree becomes the symbol of Aragorn and the future of the kingdom of men, at least the righteous men of, of you know, Numenorean descent. Um, and it all ties back back to that silver tree that was created in Valinor. Right. I think that's beautiful that Tolkien connects all these, you know, he, he uses these trees as a symbol of faith, as a symbol of oneness mm-hmm. with the Valar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going along with their will. And I, I think that having this tree start in Tolarasea, where it's a place that was made for the children of Iluvatar. It's not something that was originally part of Ammon. It, it, it's, it's a holy thing. It's made by the Valar, but it's made for the children of Iluvatar. I think that that's almost more meaningful that that becomes this tree that is a symbol of hope, a symbol of, of, uh, of holiness for the Numenorians and for uh, the future uh, the future of men, really. Uh, and I, I did like in Rings of Power when they said, you know, when the when the white tree, the petals fall, whatever they said, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the right. tears of the Valar. I right. actually really liked that addition because that really tied it to what Tolkien was going for with these trees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you go forward in the Silmarillion and you start to see kind of the story of Numenor, what happens there, that white tree of Numenor 
takes on a whole new significance um, yep. for some of the bad guys who, who get there in Numenor. I won't give any spoilers away, you know, even though the book's been out for 50 years, but, I, <laughs> but uh, those white trees become important. Yes, the white tree does become important indeed. Well, speaking of trees, we get the Noldor royal family tree. We start off with Finway. We've talked about him. He's one of the big three. One of the big three that originally went to Valinor and saw the trees. Uh, his sons are threefold, and he's got one from one mother and two from another mother, and that's going to be a big deal. Before we get into details here, David, what was your impression of this family tree here, since you're reading this for the first time? Um, yeah, this is where I, I just did have to go with it and, uh, uh, read a lot. I don't have a lot of, of deep thoughts. I, honestly, I was trying to not get dissuaded by the, the, the begats and the begots. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I, other than our meme joke that we had before, uh, I, I think it was cool, you know, to finally see where uh, Galadriel, you know, comes from, and and to get some lineage uh, of her. Yeah, sorry, man, I don't have a lot. Uh, you that's can okay. That. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's okay. I thought that it would be interesting to see if this was uh, enough to scare you away from. No, no, yet. no. I, I I hung in there. I hung in All there. All right. I was yeah. ta- I was paying attention more to other things, less of the lineage stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but more of um, some of the details that I was picking up a lot of the side details about the ships and the swans right. and, and some right. of the other things. So mm-hmm. so we have Feanor, the infamous Feanor. Did he do something wrong? Ask Reddit. Uh, <laughs> his mother is of the Noldor. She is Muriel mm-hmm. and she dies in childbirth. So Feanor is the only holy Noldo descendant of Finway. And that I think is worth noting. Mm. I mean, yes. this is this is the guy who carries the whole if you want to be, you know, pure about it. He you know, they're all elves, they all should be about the same, but these guys get really into lineage, so now we're going to get really into lineage. Mm-hmm. He's the full Noldor bloodline whereas you have these two others, Fingolfin and Finarfin. Again, are these antidepressants? Are these elves? We'll never know. <laughs> but Fingolfin and Finarfin all come from the Vanya Indus. So she's one of the high elves. She's one of that other Elvis group. Mm-hmm. And she is the second wife of Finway. And there's always going to be this weird vibe between the sons of Feanor and the sons of the other two houses of the Noldor because of this difference in lineage because of this difference in culture basically because as we're going to learn in a second the vanyar are a lot more tied to Ammon and mm-hmm. the holiness of the valar whereas the noldor are super into middle earth they're really into that into that uh the mining and uh and smithing and whatnot so it's a big cultural difference and it's a big political Sig- politically significant event that there are these three houses and two of them come from a different part of the elvish factions. Yeah, absolutely. Um it it, it is interesting to know, you know, Finway has Miriel, she dies. You right. know, even though elves aren't supposed to die. Right. Um, but she Do- does. Doesn't she choose though? Basically she she yeah. basically is like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I, and you'll, you'll get to that in the next. You'll get to that in the next chapter, right? She basically says, <laughs> the, the, basically, the life energy that would have gone into many, yeah, all went into Feanor, and that just sucked it right. out of her, right? Um, and so she kind of <laughs> she kind of wastes away. Um, but then Finway remarries, right? Now, think about this for a second. And Tolkien did. He wrote some things down. This is complicated because if you are immortal and you could be reincarnated and have your spirit put back in another body. But we believe in monogamous relationships. How does it work for an elf to remarry, right? Like, these are the questions that Tolkien asked, right? And he tried to work through, if you read some scraps in like in Carl Carl Hostetter's The Nature of Middle-Earth, you know, Tolkien wrestled with this idea, right? And the idea of an elf remarrying was just so extremely rare in the culture, right? And part of that was, was by nature, but I think another part of it was, look what happens when when you remarry yeah, and you've got yeah. sons from different moms, this, this can cause, this can cause a lot of trouble. Um, and 
Yeah, so it, it mentions all of Feanor's sons as well. He's got seven sons. We're not going to name all of them because no. basically I can't even keep track of them. And I've read the similar five times. It doesn't really matter. But the one call out there is Feanor has a son named Karufin, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, in the chapter, it says that Karufin inherited most his father's ability to craft, right? To create things. Right. Well, Karufin also had a son named Celebrimbor. Yeah. Who, if you've seen Rings of Power, yeah. he was sort of that master elf craftsman who was the brain behind the Rings of Power, right? So you've got that direct lineage from Feanor to Karufin to Celebrimbor. So, so that's one connection. Another connection I want to make, um, John, you mentioned that Feanor sort of is the only real Noldo, right? He's, he's got a father mm-hmm. and mother who are, who are Noldor. But then you have Indus of the Vanyar. Well, if you look down a little bit at the, at the third generation again, you've, get, you've got Galadriel. Right? So yep. Galadriel, her grandfather is Noldor. Her grandmother is Vanyar. But if you look closely at the family trees, you'll notice that her mother is Arwen of the Teleri. So ah. Galadriel sort of is the combination of all the three major houses of elves who came to see the light of the trees. Now, this is really important because, in, as Galadriel is described in this chapter, she's got golden hair. Almost as if the light of Laurelin yep. were enmeshed in her hair. Right. And, her hair uh, was lit with gold as though it had been caught in a mesh yes. of the radiance of Laurelin, which really yep. is a, one of those lines that jumped out at me. You know, yeah, in these, exactly. your, these descriptions are so <laughs> evocative. The Golden House of Fenarfin. I the think Golden House. The right. Power, yeah, right? right. <laughs> That's yep. new. Yeah, and so Galadriel is sort of this combination of the three major houses. She's got the light in her, and if you look carefully at how she's described in The Lord of the Rings, you've got Galadriel, who's golden, but her husband is Celeborn, who is all silver, and even Galadriel has a lot of silver about her. So again, Mm. she is the combination of gold and silver light. So Galadriel, in a lot of ways, I think, is the light of Middle-earth. I mean, Tolkien loved the character of Galadriel. He wrestled with her a lot. Like, even up to the last week of his life, he was trying to rework her story. Yeah. But the idea that she was sort of this pinnacle of light and elvendom, um, he he really loved that idea. Yeah. I think for sure he would have made her a bigger part of the first age if he had lived longer and had more time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really cool, though. I had never considered the Teleri part of her lineage and how that how that really brings her into the culmination of elfdom. And it kind of makes more meaningful later when she has her redemption arc. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, she's kind of redeeming the elves altogether. So thanks for bringing that in. That's very cool. I wanted to, this may be a a good quick segue to, you know, you know, we're doing a reading of uh, a wizard of earth sea and all of the Hmm. books by Ursula K. Le Guin with our, other favorite Tolkien scholar, Marilyn Arpkila. You know, you may have heard some of her on our podcast. Anyway, one of the things that happens in Le Guin's fantasy world is that naming is the power. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the core magic. And in this passage here that I highlighted, um, is it Kelegorm? Am I pronouncing that right? Kelegorm. Uh, Kelegorm. Yeah. 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 It says, uh, went rather to the house of Orome, and there he got great knowledge of birds and beasts and all their tongues he knew for all living things that are there uh, in the kingdom of Ardas, um, save uh, only the fell and evil creatures of Melkor lived in the land of Mammon. It just gave me a very biblical sense of, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden naming things or of Le Guin, you know, uh, naming things and identifying things and, and, having this idea of the elves out in creation being part of an active part of um of the song uh of Ero Luvatar mm-hmm. it, it was sort mm-hmm. of this importance this this passage just made me think about the importance of the elves being in the world and seeing things and naming things and learning about things because without them without the children there is you know what is there this what is this world for what is its yeah. purpose yeah so I love right. I love that you say that, and you know the Eldar, not the elves, they call themselves the Quendi, right? Which right. means those who speak, right? Those who those mm, who have a language, right, right? Right. And even in this chapter right here, it talks a little bit about the Noldor. Um, let's see if I can find the passage right here. 
Uh, yeah, the Noldor. They were changeful in speech, for they had great love of words, and they and sought ever to find names more fit for all things that they knew or imagined. Right. So yeah. you yeah. can imagine Tolkien, right? The linguist, the philologist. He he is looking at the Noldor, and he's like, they're always trying to find more accurate words for the mm. things that they see, they they observe, and that even that they can imagine, just ideas. Right and yeah. and uh, I th- just think it's a beautiful thought. I think maybe Tolkien saw a lot of himself in the Noldor, mm-hmm. right? This love of language, but also this love of creation or sub-creation is a great idea. You know, right, a great right. name with Tolkien, right? Maybe he resonated a lot with the Noldor in many ways. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. David, I think you should put a pin in your naming idea, and when we get to of Turin Turambar. You right. are going to have a field day. Okay. <laughs> and Excellent. you know who's going to be our guest on that? Well, yeah, Marilyn. 2024. Yeah. Is uh, Marilyn. Yeah. And, and she's doing the Earthsea stuff. So I think that's going to be a great conversation in a year. Yes. Yes. Those are some complicated names for Turin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that might even be a cautionary tale on renaming, to be honest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the Teleri, wishing to come to Ammon from Tol Arasea, are taught shipbuilding by Ase and settle in the port of Ammon known as Alqualande. You may have heard that if we if you've talked about uh, Rings of Power with us. It's not a not a not a famous place, but perhaps an infamous place. Yes, yeah, some uh, some not nasty deeds will happen there. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait to talk about that too much. But that's some good setup for our next the next couple chapters. Uh, over time, the Noldor begin to long for Middle-earth, which causes tension between the Noldor and the Vanyar, who are more into this Ammon life. Uh, the Noldor learn smithcraft from Alay during this time. And uh, so that's that's what's leading to our boy Feanor, who is now going to have a field day in his crafting. I don't have any more plot on this, but I want to get some final thoughts on this chapter from each of you. So, Aaron, you want to go first? Let me draw a couple more connections here. Okay. Um, Sounds good. In the city that the Noldor and the Vanyar build, it's called Tyrion, and it's built upon a green hill called Tuna, right? Um, yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. Tolkien really liked his canned fish. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> how many this, how many jokes have been made? Yeah, exactly. At, at Tuna's expense. Exactly. But uh, in Tyrion, there is a silver lamp. Now this this lamp is kind of important. Maybe it serves as maybe sort of a lighthouse. Um, but uh, it's at the tallest tower of this city. Now, if you listen closely to the lyrics of the, wor- of the song, This Wandering Day, from Rings of Power, in the first verse it says, The sun is fast falling beneath trees of stone, the light in the tower, no longer my home. Past, mm, eyes, nice. past eyes of pale fire, black sand for my bed, I trade all I've known for the unknown ahead. Hmm. Now, I, when I read that paragraph, that instantly makes me think that this song is... For the most part, there's some complications with my theory here, but this song, for the most part, is telling Galadriel's story, right? We know Galadriel is the main character of Rings of Power, and we know eventually the unrest of the Noldor is going to cause them to leave Valinor. Part of that is there's a lot of mist. They look in that tower, and they see this light, and the Noldor, some of the Noldor realize that that is no longer my home. Um, and this is all from that city that sits in the valley, that is sort of this liminal space between the light of Valinor and the darkness of Middle-earth, right? This city yeah. is sort of there in this in-between, in-between yeah. space. Um, and also, maybe just lastly, we'll, and you'll get to Numenor here in a minute, but um, the, the men of Numenor, those who were, who could see the farthest, who had the most keen eyesight, I think is how Tolkien says it, um, on a very clear day, when they were looking out to the far, far, far west, they could barely see the city of Alqualonde that was on the shores of the Lonely Isle, which is right outside of Valinor and the Blessed Realm in Amon, right? And they looked at that and they said, that's, that's the Blessed Realm, that's where the elves and the Valar dwell. Um, even though it wasn't actually the Blessed Realm, it's just kind of this island that's sitting out there. But f- later on, as you get to Numenor and sort of what happens there, there's just another connection, another callback to say they could see the Lonely Isle from Numenor. Right. Because this isle was tied more to the mortal realms 
than it was than than Valinor was to to the mortal realms, mm-hmm. right? Because we yeah. have we have a big uh, we have a much bigger separation between Numenor and of course Middle Earth uh, with Valinor than we do with Telerisaia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting that you know because Payne and and McKay, the showrunners for Rings of Power, they seem to really know their lore quite quite intimately. It's the being able to translate that onto the screen and to make a coherent story out mm-hmm. of it. But I I think that's one of the things that we loved about, at least I loved about um, uh, Rings of Power was all of these little cuts and these little references and these um, call outs to all these various parts of the lore and to have that woven into the television show is really lovely. And so calling something out like that, like that's, that's cool. That's, that's really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think they knew the lore. I think they know the lore. I think they missed some of the major themes of Tolkien and also the execution of it. Was, yeah, well, yeah, was we, we don't. A little sad, but we don't need to dig into rings. No, we don't need to relitigate it. At least just to call out what some of the, the pyroclastic cool flows be gone. <laughs> yes, be gone. <laughs> Mithril origin stories. So they're talking about um, Melian. Melian is the uh, the wife of Thingol, right? Who just sort of gets dropped in here. So, and I get a, I got a little confused in this section. Um, in the face of uh, Melian, he beheld the light of Amon as an unclouded mirror, and in that light he was content. His people gathered about him in joy, and they were amazed, for fair and noble as he had been, uh, now he appeared as if he were lord of the Maiar, his hair, gray, silver, tallest of all the children of Iluvatar. And this is the line that threw me, and a high doom was before him. Hmm. And, you know, we've talked, we talked a lot about doom, uh, in our second age podcast, to, you know, prep for rings of power. And so when I read this line, high doom was before him, that really threw me because I is doom being used in a different way. And, and who is this person that this is, who's the person facing the doom here? Cause yeah. is it, is it Elway or is it Melian? I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think first of all, this is definitely a use of Tolkien doom. This is this is fate doom, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This is not. I mean, I'm, I won't say anything about Thingol's future, but for now, it's not. It's not doom. So doom. who's doom? Who is being doomed here? I think I think you're seeing a change in the fate of of uh, Thingol of okay. of Elway becoming Thingol, becoming this Maiar statured person. You know, we talk a lot about the uh, Melian sinking into the chains and trammels of the right, flesh of I remember Arda. that. Right. And I think she sort of lowers herself a little bit to be with an elf, but I think she also at the same time raises up Thingol into a little bit higher than an elf. So there's sort of this balancing mm-hmm. between them. And because of that, Thingol is going to become this great lord in Valerian. He's going to become this king in Valerian. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also say keep that idea of doom in mind when you come to the chapter of Baron and Luthien. Right. Luthien is the daughter of Thingol and Melian, and the theme of doom is is uh, very prevalent in Baron's story. Okay. Right? So yeah. there's there's some fate, there's some doom that is driving Baron, and it's all connected there. And I think part of it also comes to is Thingol and Melian again. They sort of represent this sort of melding. Right, a Maiar coming down a little bit, an elf coming up a little bit, um, and even Thingol, he had gone and seen the light of the trees, but now he has come back, and he's not going to see that again. Um, Melian's becoming more incarnate. They have a daughter. Is she elf? Is she Maya? Is she half and half? Who knows? Right, and her their daughter even um, marries a man. So you have this other melding there. So there's all of this melding and this combination going on there, and I think part of that doom is is to say, okay. When you take two things that aren't supposed to be together and then you put them together, <laughs> what happens? You yeah, know, right, what right. happens there, right? right? Like, Aluvatar has his intentions, but also these characters have their agency, or is it all foreordained? That's another debate for another time. But right. When you, when you, yeah. yeah. When you put these things together, what happens? Right. And you have a musical, I mean, this is the song, this is the execution of the song, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody's supposed to play 
their part, but then they can also riff and jazz on on stuff if they want. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what Melkor, you know, Melkor had license in a way to mm-hmm. to go do his thing. So you I know, think Melkor would have just taken up like the saxophone; he would have been fine. <laughs> but instead, he had to like bang on the piano. That's right. I think what you were saying, what we were saying at the top of this um, episode was that this is, I think, John, you said this was, this is a big setup episode or chapter. Um, And I can really, you know, talking it through with you guys, I can really see a lot more of the seeds of what I do know without having read the Silmarillion, but just what I have in, in, in general knowledge that there is a lot embedded in this chapter. Uh, and I think it's definitely one of those chapters that if you don't, you got to get through it <laughs> to get to the other side of it. But when you come back on subsequent reads, there's probably a ton of detail in here yeah, there that is. really mm-hmm. stitches things together. So I guess that's mm-hmm. my uh, shout out to all my other fellow you know, first-time readers is don't get bogged in this chapter but come back to it time and time again, I guess. In the words of Oasis, don't look back in anger, I heard you say. (laughs) So, I think that's all for today on our summary. Uh, Thank you very much, Aaron, from Lore of the Rings, for being with us today. Can you tell people where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is Lore of the Rings. It's on anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Um, and, uh, yeah, just come and, and we, we like to talk about wandering middle earth. We, right now we're exploring each chapter of the Hobbit on its own individually. And then, uh, in the following episode, we compare that chapter of the Hobbit to Peter Jackson's movies and where Peter Jackson got it right. And maybe where he deviated some. So that's been our, our current project for the last, uh, I don't know, a couple months. And we've, we've got a little bit more of that. So if you like the movies, if you like the books, Come join and and wander Middle Earth uh, with the Lore of the Rings podcast. Uh, Thanks for coming on. I really look forward to talking to you in the future uh, as we're, you know, especially when the show comes back around. I hope we can get a chance to to meet up again. And, uh, you know, and we're carrying on with a, we got a lot of chapters of Silmarillion to go through. So uh, it's been really great. Uh, You you really do have a scholarly uh, approach to this. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, I was an English major in college, and people were always like, "What are you going to do with that?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> so I went. Podcast. I work at a technology company, but you know, now I do a podcast on the side. So, but awesome. now I it's talk about out. Tolkien. Yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Very cool. Thank, Thank you. you. It's so been a much. lot of fun. Yeah. Look thanks, Aaron. Again. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks. Well, John, that was a really great conversation. I'm so glad that we were able to meet up with Aaron. He's so knowledgeable. I really I know. For that conversation, that chapter, and the conversation about that chapter, I'm really glad that um, he was our guest because he his knowledge is so in depth that it really helped illuminate the the chapter for me. I think in a in a way, not that you're not great or anything. Um, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> but he was he was awesome, and I'm I'm really looking forward to doing a couple more things with him in the in the not too distant future. Absolutely. And of course, go over to his feed. You can find it in the show notes. Uh, Check out his show. He's got some short snippet shows, which I think will be really great for someone looking to get a light read on Tolkien, Uh, but but still in depth. I mean, it's it's good stuff. Uh, Let's talk about our patrons. Yes, let's do that. Uh, We would like to give a shout out to our lore masters. They are our top tier Patreon supporters. They are Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, and DJ Miwa. Thank you all so very much for your continued support. Thank you to all our uh, Patreon supporters. Um, ad revenue can be fickle. And so it's the patrons who really keep us steady and moving in the direction that we want to. Thank you. Gift is being produced. Uh, we're going to have a design out hopefully before too long. We've got some more, um, June in June, we'll start talking about some of the new Patreon benefits that we've decided that we want to add in. Um, everyone who is a member, uh, by the end of July, will get one of these thank you gift stickers. These are special commemorative stickers to mark our one year anniversary. 
Um, and it's a way to say thank you to all of you for our for the support that you've given us. Um, so if you've been thinking about being a Patreon supporter, please jump in and uh, get a cool sticker. Uh, John, May programming notes. We're almost right here at the end. I know. May is basically over, but we've got a couple more podcasts for you. Uh, you're here on Silmarillion Stories, but you might be interested in our weekly coverage. We're wrapping up three shows this week. Ted Lasso, White House Plumbers, and Barry, the season finale. All very exciting stuff, all going swimmingly. Uh, for White House Plumbers and Ted Lasso, make sure you get into your feedback, including season wrap feedback, if you want that considered, because we're not doing a separate season wrap. It's all going to be lumped into that season finale episode. So uh, check that out. Check that out on our feed. Uh, also check out on Alicia's feed. Again, our network affiliate, pretty new here. So we'll keep mentioning uh, the newness, I guess, for a little while longer. And uh, she has a podcast called Wool Shift Dust about the Apple TV show silo which is a mystery box really great show uh the production value is amazing the writing is amazing the story it's based on is amazing and they're doing a great job executing it alicia's doing a great job breaking it down with her co-host luke they're talking about book differences without spoiling in the future and uh, i'm really excited to listen to it every week i'm really excited to watch the show every week so i hope you'll check the show notes for a link to her podcast and head on over there david been a pleasure to go back to the world of Tolkien with you. Yes, and next month, what are we covering? We're covering the Unchaining of Melkor. Oh, right, right. Of of Feanor yeah. and the Unchaining of Melkor with Maester Anthony. Maester Anthony is coming over. Uh, so yeah, that that should be a fun one. I I love the title. It's a great chapter. I mean, this I'm is this is basically the inciting event for the rest of the Silmarillion. So okay. The encyclopedia is over, and we're oh, heading goodness. to the meat of it. Excellent. All right, David, I'll see you next week on, or so next month, actually, on the shores of Ammon. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>